podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more. Surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Mirror man, mirror man. You twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Good morning and welcome to a special episode of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I am once again reunited with Matt Candela. How you doing, Matt? It's been too long. I'm excited to be back. Very excited. I have not been as excited about being reunited with someone since Thierry Henry came back for the second time. Or well, what about Arteta coming back as manager? That was quite exciting. That's that been, was that's quite been exciting. exciting. Um, so like, give us give us the download. Um, I know that you were sceptical and the, there were a lot of tears shed for Unai Emery. <laughs> uh, and I, I know that you miss his, uh, his, his uh, vitality Don't and cry for me, Unai Emery. Nice. No, no one cried. I'm fucking glad that guy has got out of our club. What a useless piece of absolute oh. joker! You yeah. know you know he what? was. He was. An, you know, people talk about imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. I mean, he must have been crippled by it. He was. He was an imposter of the highest order. Uh, an ultimate useless. Uh, he he really is the fraudiola. He's right? fraudiola. He, he fucking fell up the stairs. And I don't know how it happened because you know, like even when he was at uh, at Sevilla, he's in league positions fifth, seventh, twice. So I, I just, but and then I'm like, well, how did how did he win the Europa League final three times? Because that's still a great achievement. But then you're like, well, Arsene Wenger nearly made the final in his last and worst season for Arsenal. Yeah, Unai we Emery could have won it last year, final. and we played some. Yeah, we played some terrible teams. Yeah, and like uh, Europa League is like uh, you know. It, the Europa League will be elite if uh, if Arteta wins it because that's just my natural um, my natural bias. But overall, I mean, three Europa League wins and we thought that that could replace Arsene Wenger. It's just just doesn't add up. He hasn't got the source, mate. He hasn't got the source. So um, we'll let's let's touch on the source before we get into. It. Do you th- do you feel like you embrace what source is now? I didn't know what source was until I saw Mikel. I mean, uh, he's not a guy. Look, let's let's go back because I remember you telling me a few stories about Mikel Arteta. I think that all those stories that are being talked about now about how he was a uh, always obsessed with tactics, always obsessed with team building, we are lapping them up right now. But let's not forget, there were a couple of stories that made him sound like a real kiss ass. Like, didn't he buy? Ivan Gazidis or watch or something with some players fines or didn't he do some what, some stuff like that which, what, what, which was, left was left the a, gold watch confirmed or uh, it may have been a Twitter rumor embarrassing if true because buying a gold watch for somebody earning three million a year or whatever Gazidis was earning at the time like two like closer to two million embarrassing especially if you like you're buying it with fines surely not but at the end of the day it's gamesmanship isn't it it's like i don't give a shit i'm just doing it because i know what it takes to win and that is what we need at arsenal we need we need we need the master of the dark arts and yeah ultimately can you argue with the gold watch if it was bought because it got it got him a foot in the door that he wouldn't really have got anywhere else like Mikel Arteta would be looking at Everton the very Everton. yeah for the very least the Everton job um so yeah we we can chalk that off to um to elite mentality but straight away we're loving him we are loving him, right? And there's a lot of people questioning whether there's actually been an improvement. But I, I feel like those people aren't. You're not. You're not an analyst. You can't. You, I'm not saying that everybody wants to be an analyst of the game. You're not. You're not actually paying attention to Arsenal. If number one, you're questioning whether there's been an improvement at Arsenal, and um, you know number two, if you're trying to back that with some sort of data comparison from the ten games previous to uh, the the Unai Emery managed to to, to now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, without sounding too soft. It's you've got to look at what it what Arsenal is like holistically now. 
And if you break it down into all the constituent parts, you've got the relationship with the fans, you've got the style of play on the pitch, you've got the points on the ta- in the table, and obviously the points play an outweigh an outweigh an outweighed size in, in in what the improvement is. But the relationship with the fans has improved. The style of play we've addressed some of our major weaknesses. Um, the players seem engaged. Um, you know, it's difficult to say there hasn't been improvement. Yeah, and I think that I, I think the the job that he's done. I mean, look, I've, I've been fangirling him for um, for the past two years, but I still had apprehensions about his ability to make an impact so soon. And it, even even I am impressed with the way that he's dealt with a number of things. Like, firstly, uh, I think I think you and I were chatting on a, on on one of our WhatsApp groups. He hasn't put a foot wrong when it comes to dealing with personnel, right? Uh, and like, say what you will about the talent of the the players that were on the way out. Like, he's dealt with some really tricky situations. Jacker was basically out the door. He'd, he'd accepted an offer. Obama Yang looked completely dejected. Looked like he was going to try and get the first flight out in January. Um, Meza Ozil has been a problem for um, Freddie Emery and really Arsene Wenger. Um, and I, I think he's, I think he's dealt with them with like almost like a management consultant deft touch type thing, you know, like I've, I've been sitting in these corporate retreat meetings about how to deal with people on your team, but he's, uh, he's doing a really good job there. Like, what, what, what do you think? Um, what do you think's behind that? Like, yeah, I think he's managed it very deftly and he's kept his cards very close to his chest. He's realized that these are the players he's got. I think one of the most interesting things he said is he never accepted that this season was a write-off and he has clearly communicated that to the players and everyone in the club. It's, it's, it's not, oh, well, next season we'll start properly. It's this season counts and you've, and we have to make the most of every single moment. And I think that's a really, really important point because with that same philosophy, every single player has to perform and he's given everyone the chance to impress him. And, you know, he's done a really, really good job because we don't know what he thinks of Mesut Ozil. We don't know what he thinks of Mustafi. We don't know whether he thinks that uh, Mustafi has to go in the summer. But, you know, and I think that's what he's done so incredibly well. He's he's left everyone with the sense that everyone has a chance. It's based on a meritocracy. It's based on behavior. Um, bad behavior won't be tolerated, but it won't be held against you forever. You know, you look at the Gwendozi stuff. That and, really is a key point, right? And, and I think it's, and I think it's, you know, the Urzel, he's a pragmatist. He knows that why would you kick Mesut Urzel out the team and then not play him? And then, or Aaron Ramsey, because he's a contract rebel or whatever. What he realizes is in football, as a manager, you need to have your best players on the pitch. So you need to find a way to make your squad perform. And there is no room for just ostracizing people just for the sake of your own, you know, feeling big or feeling important or being principled. You know, principles... (laughs) they're important but at the end of the day they're important to make you can make a signal quickly and then you can move on and i think that's that's been the impressive part about the the michael arteta regime bernie sanders in the debate last night they were like why did you uh why did you vote against this gun reform law and basically what he was trying to say is the last time i i didn't make this vote i was kicked out of power so I'd like to make, you know, I, I see the bigger picture. So, you know, you take a little hit here and there. And I think, I think that that's absolutely key to the success that he's had. And actually, I think that what he's trying to do is um, he's, he's trying to communicate to the outside market as well. You know, like, the, like who, who's not going to look at what he's done uh, like in, in the last two months and, and not think that they want a bit of that for themselves. I think the, the Meza Ozil, um, the Meza Ozil piece is is really important as well because we're looking we're looking to move players on this summer. You're like if Meza Ozil's sitting on the bench, who is going to pick him up? If you pump him up, bring him back to his best, get him working, you make him a target. Well, this is it. There's a complexity to it. You know, Meza Ozil is clearly a popular guy in the dressing room. He spelt the end for Unai Emery. He's got really great mates, uh, Kalasinak and 
a load of others by the by the looks of all the pictures that get taken at the training ground. So ostracizing him and treating him poorly is going to affect the performance of the other players. So I think he takes a broader perspective. He has a confidence in his own points of view. And it's it's looking increasingly promising. I mean, the one the one interesting thing was I watched, you know, we were lining up against Everton and he saw Ancelotti. And Ancelotti has had a, a comparable effect on Everton. You yeah, know, the way he's they've, they've, they've lost been, one in eleven before. Yeah, us, they've right? been. They, he's he's had the same impact. So I actually think it's you know one of the bigger questions is not is Arteta good? It's does he have the ability to be better than the likes of Ancelotti and and that that level of management? And and we're going to wait and see. But it's what good managers bring. Ancelotti is clearly one. Arteta is another, you know, we're still waiting to see whether he can be our Jurgen Klopp and take us to the next level. And, you know, that's going to take time. Yeah. So, um, so the, the, the squad morale is certainly something that's turned around. And I think if you can't recognize that the squad is happier, you've got a social EQ problem, or maybe you're a bit like Una Emery and you just, don't have that superpower in in your locker to be able to identify happiness in uh, in fellow human beings. Um, the the football side of things is um, is very up and down. Um, we've had some good performances where we've lost. We've now thankfully had some bad performances well, we where lost. we've we won. We haven't lost since Arteta's since in twenty twenty. No, we haven't lost in uh, 2020. But what I mean is I felt like the first, um, you know, the first five or six games, there was a lot of bad luck. Yeah. Went down to 10 men twice. Um, I, I don't think Chelsea deserved um, to beat us. And, you know, when we lost Cal Chambers, yep. it was a lot of bad luck. Um, now we're starting to grind out performances and show a different side, which is like the, the resilience question has come up a lot. And I think, um, you know, we spoke a lot about uh, whether players were uncoachable because that was a bit of a theme. And I, I, I think that you and I agreed that like top athletes are always coachable. Um, what do you think about the impact that he's had on like individual players? Like, how, like I mean, Mustafi is a turnaround, right? Yeah. Is is he redeemed? It's not redeemed because it's it's this is that classic Arsenal fan mentality is you're shit or you're a great you know it's like we're we're so good at doing that to all our players and I think the other thing we're really good at is going this player is so much better and this player's got you know and this player's got so much worse I think what he's done really well is he's put a structure in place and the structure has enabled players to perform better. I don't think the players are having better games or worse games. They're just being left less exposed in certain situations. And I think that's the bigger thing. Um, they're he's playing, building a protective wall around weaknesses. Yeah, they're just playing as a, as a team, playing to advantages. You know, one of the problems for, for all our players is just everyone was so exposed all the time. And we felt it a bit at the end of... The Wenger era, obviously, well, for a few years, and we were convinced that Emery would change it, and nothing changed. There was no discernible change in structure, and we were we were so convinced it was going to happen. And so that's the really pleasing thing. And I think every Arsenal fan uh, will is prepared to give up some offensive quality in order to be more resolute defensively. We're just so fed up of conceding such shit goals. And we'd love a bit of the George Graham coming in, bringing a bit of discipline. And that's clearly Arteta's number one objective. And, you know, he's he's not got the best group of defenders. David Luiz, uh, who is not a, not a great defensive defender. Mustafi's not a great defender. Saka at left back, who's a left winger converted, who's... 18 he's years He's officially old. the best left-back Bellerin, in the Premier League at the moment. Bellerin, who hasn't quite come back from his, from his injury. From his veganism. So he's dealing with a, with, a, with a ragtag bunch. And what's great is that he's managed to create a structure um, with his midfielders, with his goalkeeper, um, with organisation, with practice, that finally doesn't feel quite so fucking awful. I mean, it, it has times, even in the Everton game, it felt 
like the old days at times. But there are, there are beginning to be signs that we have got a better defensive structure in place. And at least there might be something happening on the training ground. Do you remember all those times where like, is Steve Bolt doing anything? Remember Martin Keogh in yeah, 2006? Yeah. And you're just like, are they doing anything behind the scenes? And it would be difficult to argue that they were. Whereas right now it's like, well, they're clearly working on shape, defensive structure, team, all that stuff. Yeah, I, I think it's um, I think it's really exciting, and I like the idea that he's building from the back. I, I had a, I had a notion similar to you. I was like, well, it's clear that he's working on the defense, and the you know he'll work on the attack a bit later. But there's this really great uh, YouTube channel. It's called like Beanie Man TV or something, and they put they just put a camera in all the press conferences, and it is it is a joy to watch an Arteta press conference because he likes to talk and he talks like a fan. <laughs> Um, a very articulate fan um, when it comes to football. Um, but the, uh, what, was I, what was I trying to lean on? Oh, yeah, sorry. So um, Arteta actually was asked the question whether the, the reason for the lack of attacking prowess was because he was focusing on the defense. And he was like, no, no, that's that's actually not the case. Um, it's just not it's just not working right um, at the moment. So uh, he's he's. I, I guess though, it's if well, you're trying to work on too many things at the same time, right? You're like a, you can end in a big mess. So maybe yeah. he's just saying that for um, to protect his players. Yeah, and uh, look, one of the most interesting things that's going on offensively, I think, is the uh, inclusion of Eddie for the last couple of games, and. What I love about that inclusion is that he is prepared to sacrifice players in order to get the right balance in the team. And I think that's one of the things. Do you remember when England had that whole problem with like Lampard and Gerrard in the middle and we tried to do it for years and it was shit forever, Mm -hmm. but we just couldn't bear to drop any of them because they're both great players at club level. And what I love about the Eddie inclusion for the last couple of home games is that you know Eddie Nicotier is not as good a player as Lacazette it's just not he's like young he's raw um he hasn't got the finishing ability yet he hasn't got the experience yet but Arteta has got a point of view on how we should play and maybe right now Eddie suits it better and that's what I like about the way that he puts together his teams he has a point of view on how we should play as a team and then puts the personnel into that rather than trying to squeeze personnel into a team so and not meaning to find positivity or a pattern where there isn't one but um it was interesting that Arteta stuck with Lacazette through some dog awful games where he couldn't finish and then as soon as he got two goals in in two games he was on the bench yeah and you, you wonder whether part of it was like look I can't I can't take this this guy out until he gets back on track. Yeah, I think so. And you know, do you think it's uh, do you think that's a long term thing, or do you think I think um, it's a long term thing? Because I think the, big, the the biggest difference between Lacazette and Eddie is Eddie plays on the he plays on the defender, and so it means that the game is much so much more uh, stretched. You know, it's like Lacazette is always dropping deep, always trying to get involved in the build up play, in my opinion, and. Um, and I think it's just for a team that plays the way we do, I think having someone who is always stretching the game is a good thing for us because one of the Arsenal's great strengths has been playing on the counter. So having someone like that is is great. And and the finish the f- was the finish was beautiful. It was Henri-esque. It was Henri-esque, right? I mean, uh, and the cross. Like, this also gives some credit to the cross from Saka. Was was, was that Saka's tenth assist of the season? Yeah, I mean, quite unbelievable, right? I'm getting a little bit worried that, um, and I think I think it's just his agent. Well, Jaden Sancho's Jaden Sancho shares the same agent, right? Well, I just think that the agent is not as stupid, and he knows that his client is red hot. And I think Saka would be stupid to try and get a move now because he's got a a coach who supports him. He's got, let's face it, he's got a place in the first team. When I read a thread, I don't know whether it was was, um, an authentic thread that said the analysis had been done that showed that Saka would be in the top 30 wingers but could be in the top three uh, wing backs. And like that, a lot of the decision-making about him playing in that position has come down to the fact that his attributes are best served in that role. It doesn't really fit with a lot of the stuff we heard from Arteta, but it does fit with the performances that we've seen. And 
Look, the guy's fucking awesome. Just sign him up. He's the, I mean, A star student. You know, I, which remember, I, love. I, I remember well watching Ashley Cole from my uh, my seat in the West Stand Lower when he first started making his debut. And you've got to say that Saka has made a more impressive start to his career than Ashley Cole did. And that's yeah. saying something because Ashley Cole was no, he didn't start off slow either. So, um, the big challenge, though, for well, not big challenge. It's not a challenge at all. The big question is: he's a brilliant left back, left wing back, and he's. I think um, Matt Scott posted a tweet that said he's basically statistically the the best left back in the Premier League at the moment. Does Arteta continue with him there, or will he revert back to a, a, a left winger when you've got somebody like Gabriel that can slip into their next season? Yeah, I mean the post I read, and again this this was not. From Do you a, have a source on this? People are going to want to hunt this out. Yeah, I um I I put at, at Le Grove on it, so you you have you are on it somewhere, so I'll find it. Yes, but basically it said that um, his inability to move the ball in space. Uh, like a Leroy Sane meant that his potential as a winger was he was never going to be one of the top two or three wingers in the world and he was more likely to be that top 30 that's what the data showed and his ability to play a wing back allied to his defensive abilities meant that he could be in the top two or three wing backs in the world so again this could be a load of bullshit but I like the sound of it. It sounded really, really good. good. And I was just like, I was lapping it up. I I think you're absolutely right about moving. You've got the trust of a manager. You've got a manager who's going to, who is. Actually, Cole was the same. Yeah. But the, um, like Arteta is very suited to developing a player like Saka. Um, Don't go to fucking Liverpool. Like the party life there is, is not going to be, it's not going to be the same. And, um, but and he, there's every like there's no way Raul and Edu are going to let the first real prospect uh, in many years um, to come out of our youth academy to to, to leave. So um, hopefully they'll give him a good deal. I, I hope it's not as uh, as crazy as Hudson Adoy didn't they? he get close to two hundred grand a week? Hopefully, hopefully we're not going that crazy. Um, but you never know. You never know. So I found um, I found it, um, and this is. I don't know whether this guy is uh, is legit. He's called Arsenalian. He's got only got two thousand followers, but I do like what he said and he, and what he said about. He said he was shocked that this was a thread about. Um, is this Lacassen? Yes, it, exactly that. And it Great said, comments from him. And it said, um, Bukayo Saka is the best example of where we want to go with Arsenal. He was a winger, but because he's not a Leroy Sané in small spaces, he'll not get beyond top 30 best wingers. As a wingback, he can become top three in the world and he can develop defensively with good coaching. So they're saying this was a point of view from Lucasen, but there isn't a direct quote, but... A lot of the stuff talks about the ability of what you can coach and the ability of what you can't. And um, look, he certainly seems to have the natural attributes that you need as a defensive player. Yeah. And then you can coach the rest around it because there's no way Leroy Sané could be one of the best wing backs in the world. And that uh, Trent, uh, Trent Arnold said that the trendiest position in the world now is uh, is a wing back. So uh, let's follow his lead. Let's follow his lead. Okay, so um, I covered a lot of ground there and we're going to come back in part two after I've checked the sound. Um, so we'll see you then. Welcome back to part two. Um, just as a reminder, I'm here with uh, the the legendary uh, Matt Candela. We never really do uh, podcast banter, but I think you are excellent on the podcast. So it's great to have you back, and it's great to actually do a podcast um, where I'm I'm sitting in a room opposite somebody. Because let me tell you, the sound is crisp, crisp. Um, Matt, we've been having a, a few conversations recently about um, the 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 legendary Ian Wright. Um, and I, I was I was wondering, do you think Ian Wright has hit national treasure status yet? Absolutely. And I think... Um, he I was transcends think, football, I was right? thinking about it the other day and I was thinking, this is a guy who scored at White Hot Lane in the 89th minute and ran the whole length of the pitch. And I genuinely believe that if he's commentating for a game between Tottenham and whoever... 
that he could walk into the stadium and there are Tottenham fans who would pat him on the back and say, all right, righty. And, and maybe that is completely misjudged. And I mean, I know that I can't go to White Hart Lane without getting someone trying to punch my face in, but I think that he has managed to create this niche for himself that... Uh, that goes beyond being an Arsenal player, an Arsenal fan and, and everything, but without ever becoming less of an Arsenal fan or an Arsenal player. And it's it's an amazing thing that he's done. And I just love the guy. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think um, like Gary Lineker is a, a sort of and like he's done that you know Gary Lineker has transcended uh, the game but also transcended support um, I think he's like largely respected um, but I think I, I don't know I feel like Ian Wright's more beloved well I right? think I mean we were t- the main reason this came about is because we were talking about Ian Wright's performance on um, on Desert Island Discs and it was it was unbelievable. Chelsea uh, fans chiming in to say that they cried. Well, everyone was in tears, and uh, I was I was doing a grocery shop, and I was in tears, and people were looking at me, and I think they thought I'd split up with my wife, or uh, you know, there'd been a major tragedy. But it's just this guy has worn his heart on his sleeve, and it's it's we just love him so much, and I think you know. Um, one of the weirdest things about being an older Arsenal fan, like I'm 40 later this year, not even old, but older. And you grow up and you've got someone like Ian Wright, who's one of the great, he's, he's, he's your hero. And then as you get older and they stop playing, the chances of you actually getting to meet them or spend time with them become smaller because you know yeah. they're not working and you know they do stuff with the club and I've had the fortune of meeting him a couple of times in a social environment and the fact that he is such a great genuine nice funny kind person who manages to you manage to be able to go home at the end of the night and go to your family I just met my childhood hero and it was everything I hoped for and how many times does that happen? So, well, you got to um, was it? The, it was a cup final a few years ago when you got to uh, speak with I don't know it was the Suns podcast. It was the it was it was it's some podcast right FA Cup final some, some podcast FA Cup final and we we laughed and we said Chelsea were going to trounce us and we ended up winning against all the odds and we met him in New York and. Uh, yeah, what what a wonderful, brilliant, brilliant guy, beloved by uh, fans of every club. So, uh, and 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 I think the Desert Island Dis. I mean, if you talk about fusty old institutions, and I think Lauren Laverne has come under criticism for, you know, not I love being, Lauren Laverne. She's great, and he, and she wasn't for not being highbrow enough. And I think, and this is a big statement that. Um, the combination of Lauren Laverne with someone like Ian Wright just breathed a whole fresh meaning into the future of what Desert Island Disc could be. And I think one of the things it was it needed was desperately was like a sense of inclusivity and a sense of actually talking to modern Britain. And I think Ian Wright did that and uh, and we love him for it. Yeah, and I, I, I think the other thing that I love about Ian Wright is he hasn't lost touch with you know the, the football made him like I love the relationship that he has with the the younger players I love how much passion he's got for the kids coming through and particularly like this batch coming through now because they're not really of his generation in the sense that like they won't have grown up with him in the same way that uh, that you or I will have um but he's still connecting with them. Like I think that like Eddie and Ketia has has seen videos of Ian Wright and how he scored goals. And that's the other thing that I love about um, Ian Wright. You forget what he was as a footballer, and then um, like I've done some research for some other projects recently. You go back through those goals. He was fast, audacious, aggressive. Like some of the finishing that he used to deliver was unbelievable. And you know what? He understood source and uh, getting a crowd on side and uh, creating attention in a game. Like what a magic player he was. Like genuinely. Oh yeah. I mean, I just grew up with him and. 
He was he was the guy, and he played like he was in a park all the way through his career. Uh, and I think he, I loved it in, in Desert Island. This he talked about one of a, a teacher who taught him uh, about passing the ball into the goal and not just smashing it. And you know, so one of the great things about Ian Wright was he just loved a chip. You know, loved a chip. Loved a chip. Yeah, and and they were just so great to see. And uh, and um, one of my one of my best friends from London, uh, Ben. Uh, if you're listening, was his biggest fan, and just like, and whenever I think of, uh, whenever I think of Ian Wright, I can't can't not think of my mate Ben, who was just obsessed with this guy, and I think we all were. It was just, it was just part of that time. It was the '90s. It was Ian Wright. It was Arsenal. He was everything, and um, and the fact that we're still able to talk about him, he's still involved in the club. Uh, it's fucking great. How um how do you think? he'd fit into I mean it's very difficult to compare how players would fit into the game today but um, like hard not to think that that talent and that ability to craft something out of nothing and that pace wouldn't fit into the system that we've got at the moment right imagine having uh, Ian Wright leading the line with like I know that it, it was a different era and we played differently but like power pace aggression hard work like you would kill for us a, a striker like that now right you kill for it, yeah. I think uh, he'd be he'd be everything you wanted, and 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 uh, you know one of my one of my th- the disappointment was that by the time Wenger came, he was nearing the end of his career. It would have been great for him to get a couple more years, just be able to be a part of that team. But you know, it felt like a natural way to phase out. But you know, he's 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 a phenomenon. He scored so many great goals, and I think. He just did it when you needed him to do it. I mean, all those <laughs> debut goals, hat tricks, uh, audacious goals, European goals, FA Cup final goals. It was he always, always, always stepped up, you know, and was. And I think one of the one of the most interesting things that came out of the whole Desert Island disc thing was. You know, even right, like we know he's the cheerful guy. He was, he's all that. But you know, he's he's a guy who's been in pain. You know, he's he's dealt with tough shit, and um, and he's always been just so emotional. And I I love the fact that he's always been like that. And you know, I love the fact that he's ours. He's Arsenal through and through. He's Ian Wright. No one else can have him. We've got him. You know, and 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 we love him. Yeah, it's brilliant. I, you know, the other thing I was wondering the other day, and I actually got into a conversation. Um, I, I was at a, an MLS event today, which was uh, which was very interesting um, because it's their twenty fifth uh, their twenty fifth season of being about. Wow. Yeah, and they're um, they're really trying to shift it up a gear, and um, they're uh, you know like more and more Americans are getting into the game. Like when you look at the the, the demographic splits of who's interested in in MLS football. It's it's young, diverse um, people that like want to be part of a community and a culture. And I always look back on uh, on how lucky we are with Arsenal that we're we're part of a, a culture like a subset of a subset. Like it's a it's a really interesting place to to be an Arsenal fan. Uh, like well, it's really interesting to be a, a Premier League football fan. And I always think back um, like one of the things that the MLS is trying to do is uh, like ingrain people in in the culture of football and I, I think my dad uh like every single memory I've got of my dad growing up is related to some player some moment in time um like and, and they're the most important memories that you have like I know that you've got a, a relationship with your mom and you've got a, like a, a similar sort of thing but even even when you get older like every big moment in in New York feels like some sort of football attached to it or, or being out like it's those uh it's those it's those moments that you remember and it's those players that bring to life um i mean i know, don't think and, and, and we don't really talk about it but i think one of the most amazing things about arsenal has been the fact that there's always been such diversity in the fan base and just the whole outlook of the club and I'm not going to be naive enough to say that there aren't racists at Arsenal Football Club. Of course, there are racist fans, and there, are, and 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 that that does exist. But um, I think we've always been fortunate to attract uh, 
diverse mix of fans. And I still think that, you know, even in the early nineties and, and, and I wasn't going before then, that was, that was when I first started going that, uh, that racism wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily be tolerated. And again, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but you can't put a price on the fact that we had talented players like, David Rocastle, like Ian Wright, like Michael Thomas. Paul Davies. And the fact that you could imagine what a difference that made to so many people's lives. Like, I don't see how Arsenal fans of that time who maybe had parents who were racist or, uh, or, or or had racist tendencies themselves could go and support Arsenal and see players like that performing at such a high level, being epitomizing everything about Arsenal Football Club and then going off and being racist for the rest of the week. Like you can't put a price on what they what what they did and what they showed the whole world, you know? David Rocastle, it's his quote about what it meant to be an Arsenal fan. Remember where you're from uh and and all that. And, you know, they are Arsenal and their legacy lives on and it's brilliant. Yeah, and and it's interesting when you see what other countries are trying to do to make the experience of of, of football exciting here. Like that, they look to like the, the the Premier League. Like there's there's still, to my mind, no league in the world uh, like it. Like the football product goes up and down, but like it's really the fans that make it, and like the the moments in history that you share with the players. Um, so that was uh, that was that, that was nice. Yeah, I saw remember. a picture on Instagram from Stuart McFarlane, who always takes great pictures from the club, and he had a picture of Highbury today, and it was like, fuck, it's difficult not to miss Highbury, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is. They they um they, they explored boxing in the corners, right? But it was going to wreck the pitch, and it, it just it just yeah, they said it, the it sun wouldn't look good. Yeah, but I mean. <laughs> You, it, it didn't. You, it hasn't lived up to expectations, has it? The Emirates. I mean, so far. But I think you create you create history in those in those grounds. Did you? Um, I think Tim Payton um, posted up something that you know he's been hanging out with uh, like some executives from Bayern Munich, and they they rescind your season ticket if you don't turn up for two thirds of the games. Which for me is still fucking high. Like like if you don't turn up for half the games, unless you're ill. Or have some sort of uh, extenuating circumstance, you should lose your season ticket anyway. But yeah. I feel like those corporate guys, like the, you know, like the Barclays block. Um, I don't know whether it was specific Barclays, but I think I was told it was Barclays. It's like always empty because they can't shift tickets to these games now. But um, yeah, I mean, I think um, there's definitely the responsibility on on the fans to create a good atmosphere, but. God, I'm going down memory lane today. But when we were great and we were playing at Highbury every week and we were the best team in the world, uh, anyone would give anything for one of those seats. And I think there's a responsibility on the club as well to create an environment where the performances on the club are up to scratch, where the fans are encouraged to create an environment that's up to scratch. I mean, you were there for the United game at the beginning of the year and brilliant. you said it was a brilliant atmosphere. Absolutely. And I think fantastic. And I think you know, it's up to having the talent in managerial position on the board, on the team sheet, in the club. That means that every time people walk through the turnstiles, they feel a privilege to be at that game, which is what everyone used to feel at Highbury. But I, I, I think I said this um, a, a few weeks ago. Like I was watching a, a Bill Belichick um, documentary. Yeah, I've seen it. That one. Yeah, yeah and I'm, I'm pretty sure that he says, you know, you know what gets the fans going? A hundred percent effort. 100% of the time on the pitch and then there can be no complaints and I feel like uh, Arsenal fans have been blamed for a lot of the atmosphere over the last few years but like the application on the pitch has been terrible um, I don't think we've been particularly well run but now fans are behind the project and I, I, and I think even if we lose a few games which we absolutely will um, the players are giving it their all like the Everton game like uh, Arteta came out after and said the players were like, we're fucked, but they, they carried on right, right until the end against a team that had two weeks rest. Well, I, I think the other thing is having the homegrown players makes a difference. Like we've got, uh, Saka, we've got Eddie, we've got Willock, like playing relatively regularly. And I think we all, it can be know, a little more forgiving. We've all, we've, we've got a, a, a bit of love for, for all of them. I mean, 
I think coming into the, it's so hard to come into the team now as a youngster and really impose yourself. I think Saka has done the best job of of all of them in terms of he's got maybe a bit more steel than the others. Like I think it's also maybe slightly easier than Willock and that's a hard position to come in in centre mid I mean and you're always like when you're centre mid you're always up against somebody that's 27, 28 yeah, much I mean, bigger that, than I you mean, I mean that's hard and but Eddie's Eddie's done a good job missed a couple of chances but done a good job so you know, if we if we if if those those guys can capitalise, then I think that's also going to bring the fan fans with them. And I think, um, you know, we talked about it a lot, which is what's the vision of Arsenal Football Club? And I think they're beginning to listen and they're beginning to be clearer on the fact that it's, you know, the best youth players allied to the best young talent in Europe. You know, you're beginning to hear it. Something we've we, we've we've heard about the youth team, and that makes people feel good too. Like it feels like you know, we've got a plan. Yeah, there's a, like, it's a a clear articulation of what we're trying to do top to bottom. There are clear principles um, that the players are being held to. I thought your point earlier about, um, like, there is punishment if you go against it, but there's also quick forgiveness if you turn it around, like Wendozi and Ceballos are great examples of that. Hopefully, Maitland-Niles can uh, change his tune. Um, but there's also, a, a, like, a clear philosophy on the pitch. And you're like, okay, it's not perfect at the moment. Performances are up and down. But at least I'm going there. And I know I, I can I can kind of work out what we're trying to do. Like, let's watch Man City, Madrid to see what that looks like on, on a bigger stage. And maybe that can be us in, you know, in five years, like, you know, Pep and Klopp have had. But just uh, just before we leave the, um, the, the fan side of things, I thought it was uh, it was quite interesting reading. I don't normally like reading Granite Jacker stuff because it, it, it sometimes comes up. You've got the key. It comes across as a bit of a prat sometimes. But um, Granite Jacker was like, you know, I was in a bad place. Things were going for shit. I made mistakes. But he said the difference between uh, the Premier League and the Bundesliga is uh, like open training sessions. He was like, if fans had a problem with what we were doing, they'd come down. And we'd have a chat and it would be fine. He said, but the, the fans in the UK don't really get access to that. And I, I know that it's unlikely that we're going to do it. But I, did, I do think that Germany gets it right. They've, you know, it's, it's uh, the, the corporate seats pay for, uh, you know, the poverty seats. And, and there's an offset there. So there's like a, there's, there's not a clash of this is too expensive. Open training sessions, um, it, it, like it feels a bit more almost like socialist in a way. Um, Like the the football isn't as good, but you wonder whether the Premier League could try and integrate the players with the fans a little bit more, especially as that's why people, one of the big reasons people buy the TV. Yeah, I mean, the the stadiums are full. So like the fans don't seem to be getting much out of all of this uh, this money flooding the game. I think it's an interesting thought, right? But I mean, and going back to our good friend Ian Wright, I mean... I saw something where Ian Wright was wishing someone, you know, good luck on their bar mitzvah and had Obama Yang and Lacazette in the background doing a video and it got posted on Twitter and whatever. And it's like, these players are, like, we take it for granted. We go, oh, you earn all this money, you have a great life. But they have a huge amount of uh, extracurricular activities that they need to do. I mean, how many videos do you think they're recording every day? 30 40 50 how many things do you think they're signing every day 100 200 like it's not a simple life for those guys and it's never enough for people and no there, there is always someone that's like that you know they didn't they didn't more. they ignored me and they should have done this and they should have done that and as a player it's incredibly hard and i think you know, that is the reality of why play, these people get paid so much money. It's not because what they do is more important. It's because the reality is it's like a massive tax on privacy and it's a massive tax for their privacy. And, yeah. it's, and you know, the greatest, the greatest thing in the world is to be rich and anonymous. Oh, my God, yeah. And, I mean, being and, an assistant And these guys are not anonymous. They're constantly under pressure from every single person who if you're an Arsenal fan and you see any player in a restaurant that you walk into you think it is your god-given right for them to have a conversation with you and sign something and tell you some piece of information you didn't know or take a selfie or whatever that is incredibly hard so I don't think there's an issue with 
players and fans not being close enough together. I think it's, if anything, I think the issue is fans not respecting the pressure that players are under. And, you know, like there's a contract between them, but we got to, we got to, we got to, we've got to respect the players as well and understand, you know, yes, it's a dream job, but yes, you get paid a ton of money, but social media, the criticism, the level yeah. of the people it's it's not easy i uh i, I went to uh <laughs> and, and, and this is in no way the same but i kind of like felt a little bit of burn this week i went to a i went to a student fair in uh in, in savannah and we were the cool stand and it was uh, a relentless six hours of nonstop people coming up to talk for for 10 minutes. And I have never felt so ruined. And this is just like people being polite. I can't imagine what it's like when people shoving pens in front of your face, like grabbing you, like touching your hair. I mean, it must, it, it must be really difficult. Um, and, and then on top of that, they're, they're getting criticism from fan blogs and podcasts every single day. But they do get paid a lot of money. Um, okay, so that was... Uh, that was not where we were going to take this section. I feel like we went down. We've gone to the road. soft stuff. We've we? gone to the soft stuff. Maybe in uh, in the next section we can talk about uh, like the redemption players, the young players, who stays and who goes. So we'll be back in part three to wrap things up. Welcome back to part three. I'm here uh, with Matt, and we just had a, a little cry in the bathroom. But I think uh, I, th- I think we're through the worst of it. You okay? Why are we crying? Um, because we just got emotional about Ian Wright, oh, the culture mate. of football, and uh, the romance of the Premier League. I know the old days, the old days. Um, but we're in the ninety-five. Present. What a year! What a what a stunning year! Uh, was that was that Naeem from the halfway line? Nineteen ninety-five. Oh, I remember watching that in my. Uh, my dad's bedroom. Yeah, sad, sad times. Terrible. Um, that was interestingly that my, my, my cousins threw in their season tickets uh, that year after it was in Paris, I think, right? It was, yeah. Um, yeah, they threw in their season tickets and it was very difficult to get them back. So uh, just uh, a word of warning if you're disgusted with what you're seeing with Artessi, you never know what's around the corner. Anyway, um, we're here to talk about uh, a, a, not the redemption crew because I think we've done to death the, the Meza Ozil, the Granite Jackers. And, it sounds and like so solid crew, doesn't it? But it does. Redemption crew. Yes. What happened Grime, to us? grime and... Missed that style yeah. of music. Missed that style of music. Um, so... Let, let's just uh, let's just talk about four players uh, yep. that, that don't get a lot of press, but I think uh, like could almost be controversial names. So the, the first one I want to talk about is uh, is Burnt Leno. So uh, there's a there's a, a well trodden path of goalkeepers in the Premier League that do really well when there's no pressure, um, but then when they have to uh, like come up with the goods in a tight game, they can't deliver. I'm thinking from Arsenal's perspective, Richard Wright was uh, brilliant with Ipswich. Flappy Hansky. Uh, yeah, Flappy Hansky. Uh, although he went on and he, he improved uh, at West Ham, but like he, I think he's still uh, giving up errors. And at the moment, like nobody personifies this problem more than uh, than Jordan Pickford um, at Everton, who uh, I think has the, the third worst save ratio in the Premier League. Burnt Leno uh, faced the most saves in the Premier League under Unai Emery. Um, there's been a bit of a mixed bag um, under Arteta. I'm just thinking about like one game in particular, the Chelsea game, yeah, the Chelsea game where he came out for a cross and he missed. Uh, like, what do, what do we think about Leno? Is he a is he a sixty million pound goalkeeper uh, or is I think he's I think he's delivered exactly what what we what we hoped he would. Um, he's a really solid goalkeeper. He's definitely in the top keepers in the Premier League. Um, he's been fantastic for us. Made a lot of saves. Um, the question is, is he really in that top tier? I think he's he's knocking at the door. Um, but knocking at the door, he's just made a couple of mistakes that have made us question him, and he's not great on crosses. Yeah, I'll, that's I'll, that's that's probably his biggest issue. I mean, he's not terrible on them. I don't I don't I don't get scared every time we have a corner, but it's generally where an error comes from, and he's probably been a, a victim of you know the whole Arsenal defence has been bad at crosses, but. I think he's he's got it in his locker. That was he was to uh, to be one of the best keepers. He's been connected a bit with Bayern. I don't know whether that's real or real or unreal, but 
He's but, doing well. Yeah, there's 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 talk that there's interest in him. Mm. Um, I, I wonder uh, I wonder how realistic that is. But it, it it feels like he was an expensive goalkeeper. He was 25 million. I feel like I feel like we're getting value out of that signing. He was a Sven Mislint hat signing. Yeah. He, he came. Like, it's always bad to buy a goalkeeper like when the, when the confidence is sinking, and I think yeah. that that's what was happening at Leverkusen. Yeah. Um, I, but. I actually don't think he's that bad. I think he's um, good. I don't I think, think he's, he's good. that bad at crossing. I don't think anyone is going, we need to replace Bert Leno. I think he's he is a confidence player. I think he's going to get better and better. Um, he He's he an incredible to, shot stopper. He's a great shot. Very reliable. He is great, yeah. Um, I, I think the thing that I was kind of hoping that we, he, he'd be a I bit I mean, imagine better. being a goalkeeper at Arsenal. It's a fucking nightmare yeah, job, absolute isn't it? Absolutely disaster job. But I was, I was hoping that he would be a little bit better with his feet. And what is interesting over the last few games, I feel like his distribution is getting a, a, a little bit quicker. And uh, but I guess it's because he's getting more options. Like yeah. playing out the back seems a, a little bit easier. Um, I like how good his English is after watching Emery bum around um, with the language for yeah. so long. So do we think Arsenal are going to keep him this summer? or do we Keep think him, maybe? keep him, keep him, keep him, yeah. Keep him, yeah? Doing well. Okay, cool. Right, so uh, so Leno gets the thumbs up. Second um, is, a, is a player that everybody thought was dusted, basically, not suited for the league. Uh, defensive midfielder Lucas Torreira, who was a number 10 under Unai Emery. Uh, what's he more suited to, Matt? Number 10 or, a, or a, a hardcore DM? Well, clearly he's a good defensive midfielder, but the weirdest thing is that is he a good defensive midfielder? Is he is he what we're looking for? Every time I see him play, I like the look of him, um, but he can't get in the team again. And um, is is the DM the forgotten man of the modern midfield? I don't know. It's like uh, I I wonder um, whether it's a simple physical issue. Like he's he's he very play like he's small though, does he? No, but I, I, like it's very difficult for him to cover the ground that perhaps is uh, is needed. Like w- when you look at Indeedy at, um, uh, at Liverpool. Uh, not sorry, at Leicester, uh, and, and you look at that Liverpool midfield, like it's it's power and pace, and I I just wonder whether like he struggles with um with covering enough ground, or, or because he's having to play in a smaller space now, whether that like loses his options. Yeah, or maybe also just because he was sort of the hero because no one else could do any defensive midfielder work, and he had to do it all. And he did a decent job of it, but maybe with more structure, that defensive midfield role is sort of slightly going out of fashion. I don't know. Like we've talked about that and laughed about it in the past, but it's like if you have fluid midfielders, fluid defenders, total football, maybe you don't need someone like him who is so just dedicated to the art of breaking up attacks. I don't know. But I think Manchester City have uh, have opted for defensive Fernand- midfielders, yeah. you know, like Fernandinho, um, like a, a great example. They're more of that. mobile. They're more mobile for sure. And and there are definitely uh, like a growing list of players around Europe that sort of fit that profile. I think uh, Dennis Sakaria, um, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, is uh, attracting a lot of glances. Tall, uh, powerful, but like uh, like the key to him is like he almost, he has the Alex Song ability to like open up yeah. a team with defense splitting passes. I, I think there's a there was a defensive midfielder from uh, La Havre. Um, yeah, we've got, mentioned it with him a lot, and uh, yeah, so so and that's the profile. He right? looks much more in the Vieira mold than the Kante mold, and maybe that's what we're looking for now because we need some know, athleticism. I think right? I think one of the biggest things has been we fade so fast. Our physicality dips after about twenty minutes, so it feels like one of the big challenges is how can we find those people who can bring that. For 90 minutes and uh, maybe Torreira can't do it. Yeah, maybe can't. And um, I also think he doesn't really like living in England. I think he wants to go back to Italy. And as long as we can... Recoup uh, the money. Recoup the money. How much was he? 25? Uh, No, I think he was a little bit higher. Uh, No, maybe maybe he was 25 because we got him on a a release clause. Uh, Okay, so talking about like athleticism, but maybe without like the end product at the moment... uh, Joe Willock sparks uh, a lot of uh, a lot of debate amongst Arsenal fans. What do you what do you, what do you think of Joe Willock? Because Freddie liked him, uh, Emery liked him. I think McCasson um, uh, likes him. I don't think Arteta has praised him as much as, uh, as some of the previous managers. Do you think uh, Do you think Joe Willock's ability to like run with the ball, uh, like be an athlete and, and take chances? Do you think that that's uh... yeah? I think he's got it all. I think the one thing that I'm worried about is has he got the arrogance that's needed? 
Does he believe that he can be the best player in his position in the world? Deliver goals, deliver assists, track back, run. And he just seems like such a nice guy. And that's the one thing that worries me. And I'm not saying you can't be a nice guy and be a great footballer. I'm just saying... Sometimes you need a little bit of edge, I right? I just want him to go, I'm Joe Willock. I want to be the best player. I am the best player in the world in my position. I'm the best young player in my position. And Saka has got that arrogance about him on the left side. It's like, I don't even play this play this position, but you ain't getting shit from me. And, and Gabriel has and got yeah, that arrogance, It's just right? that slight confidence. And you just feel with Willock that the confidence is not quite there. And... Hopefully we can build him up to that, but that's the biggest thing that I feel like he misses. Also, uh, that, that that confidence point is quite interesting because I think there's a similar issue with Reese Nelson. Yeah, like a, a brilliant, yeah. a, a, a brilliant talent, um, but potentially, but he doesn't look like what well, at the beginning he yeah. didn't look like he he belonged in there and he hasn't really featured much uh, recently. But clearly, a, a player that Arteta likes. I wonder whether he might be shop-windowed um, this summer. Well, um, I think the difference between coming into the team now as a young player is it's not enough to make your debut and that's it and get a couple of league cut runouts. Like The pressure now is if you get your chance, you've got to score, you've got to assist, you've got to do something spectacular. Yeah. Like that's what's so hard and 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 we always I used to talk to a friend of mine about it and we used to go, luck is such an important part because if you come in you get lucky, you score a goal in your debut, you get an assist in your debut, suddenly your confidence is up. You think you can make it. And you're buying time, right? Uh, like if you yeah. get if you get an assist or a goal in the first two games, it doesn't matter if the next five are bad because at yeah. least I know you and can get a goal. And, and, and that's why what I liked about Eddie because he missed a couple of chances. He wasn't great against Newcastle, but he got the run out again. He scored a goal. It was just like, oh, thank God he got that goal because when young players don't get that assist or get that goal for like three or four games... Hey, that's the end of your career at a club. That's how crazy it is now. Yeah, and you have to, like, you don't drop to a sixth place team. You're uh, West Brom. Yeah. Like Serge Gnabry. Yeah, no, if Eddie didn't score or assist, then in five games, it's like, well, you're going to have to play in the championship. Yeah. That's the level of pressure that you're not going, ready for yeah. this. Yeah. Um, Especially after Leeds, they start questioning you. Whereas now it's like, Leeds were crazy. Bilson was crazy. Look at that finish. It was brilliant. He's just needed to play at a better club. And those things, I know a lot happens behind the background. I know that it's not just like that, but that's the way fans think. And fans play such an important role in it. All of it. And I think, uh, I, I think it, like Robbie Burton, uh, he yeah. was on the preseason tour. Freddie likes him. Freddie liked him. People thought that he might be uh, like a, a bit of a star, and now he's at, like uh, in Croatia, he's on, yeah. right? Yeah. He's, he's finished for a couple of years. Although I, I will say I do like the adventurism yeah. with the uh, with the young kids, like trying to replicate the uh, the, the Jaden. Yeah, because yeah, uh, I don't think ten years ago that the, there was enough technical ability for players to go to play in the Bundesliga or other leagues. But like at least they're going out there trying to experience new things. So hopefully, uh, hopefully Robbie Burton does a good job. But hopefully, um, hopefully. Joe Willock breaks because I, I think that we haven't had the moment where you're like, ah, I understand what you're going to bring on a regular basis. And I, I, I think under Emery, it was understandable. No one knew what was expected, but hopefully Arteta is going to like figure out pretty quick. What's, yeah. I mean, uh, my sense is that he's with David Rocastle. It's like the long leggy run with the ball, shoot, does it all. And, you know, I know that's like a huge, Huge, uh, but a huge, huge burden on him. Yeah, right? now no, I know. But, but we saw it against it. Liverpool in the in the League Cup. He scored a great goal. Yeah, um, I think he can be that guy. I want him to be that guy. There's, I don't think there's. I think the fact that he broke through ahead of a few other players is the sense that he does have the most talent in all the group. But yeah. one of the things we know from from football is that it, talent is one thing, but the biggest differentiator is mentality. And hopefully he can get that. Yeah, and I don't know how these fucking young kids get it because, uh, like, to to work hard, to not really pay attention, you almost have to have like a little part of your brain uh, that that's missing to be able to like focus. So, uh, and luck. I yeah, mean, I really think it's luck. I think it's getting harder every season. But you need to come in. You need to get that goal or that assist. And um, and yes, yeah, it's, it's it's get really, on a roll. Really Confidence carries you. Like, yeah, interesting watching um, and have a great manager because I think. Um, 
And that's and the think, difference with Arteta these kids. is going to be really, really crucial to them. I think Klopp has been crucial to some of the Liverpool youngsters. Yeah. Because you look at Guardiola and you look at that guy Foden, who is super talented, and you're like, would you be better served moving to a to a club slightly let down the league and playing every week? You know, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's I mean, he's going to have to give it up at some point because yeah. he's just not developing at the at the right pace. Or, or yeah. like, or, or, or go to go to Germany, like City, get have a buyback on him. Or you know. argue that you know we were we were the invincibles and we bought Cesare because he was good enough to play in the best team in Europe. So maybe if you're good enough, you're ready. So yeah, you know. Uh, so the, the the final the final player that I want to talk about on the on the list is uh, Matteo Guendouzi. Mm. Like I've been saying on the podcast that like he can be problematic yeah. for uh, for quite a while. He was he was dropped, and I said you know he's been dropped because he's problematic, and everyone kicked off. And then like Arteta comes out and says like you you've got to live Arsenal the the right way if you want to play. Yeah. The good news is that you know he was dropped for the weekend game, and then he was back in the squad on a Thursday. A lot of exciting talent. Um, he feels like a, a bit of a ruffian. Like he doesn't quite get how to behave at all times. But Arteta bringing him straight back in like sends a message that yeah. if you if you put in a shift, and it also sends a message about the value that they put on his talent. Right? I think I think they love him. We love him. He's young. I mean, there was a great article in the Athletic about all about. Him him about his whole history he is his strength his strength is his weakness he is extraordinarily passionate yeah he is extraordinarily impatient it's a guy who left psg at 15 to go to Lorient because he wanted to play games like like you've got to admire right? that is not someone who he's you know the whole world is zigging he's zagging you know it's like oh i'm not going to just wait my chance i'm going to take my chance because i should be playing every week you know he played against uh uh you know all his contemporaries and outplayed them who had stayed with psg and it become household names and all of that he is his biggest strength is his mentality and we've seen it and what we've noticed i think is that when we've loved him he's 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 got the ability as a 19 or 20 year old or whoever he is to drag the whole team with him, and I think that's his biggest attribute as a player. And I think that we can't ever beat that out of him. I think the importance is going to be going is going to be finding a coach who can go. You need to be we we don't want to we want you to retain all of that stuff that makes you special, but we want you to learn the tactical discipline and the. Personal discipline about playing at a major club, and, and, that's, uh, and like- I think that my hope is that Arteta can educate him in that and not be a hard ass on him and not beat the other stuff out of him. Because I think if we can combine like that natural desire to win with a sense of discipline then we have got a real player on our hands. We have. I think it's going to be a big job for Arteta because the the like the, the criticisms that he gets like. On a personal level, some of the behaviour can uh, can be quite off and like a, a little bit unArsenal like. You know, and I won't go into details, but I'm, I'm sure some of those things will leak out at some point. Um, some of the players, uh, some of the people behind the scenes, feel that he's more interested uh, at times in his in his his Instagram world and you know like dating babes and models. And then um, th- there was also, uh, uh, and this was more last season, the feeling that. Uh, Occasionally, he's not committed, and he'll he'll jump out of things, yeah. um, which is interesting because I never really get the feeling that he's jumping out of stuff. Like sometimes you see it, but um, like shirking the physical responsibilities is something that Arteta is absolutely not well, going to let him do. Well, I mean, I don't know, but I read this read this article, and I, and I think one of the biggest things was everyone saying when he came, he was incredibly frail and wasn't well suited for the Premier League and the amount of effort and endeavour he put into getting physically ready for the Premier League that took everyone by surprise. Yeah. So I think it's... And you see him, he looks like a different physical specimen. So I don't think he is scared of hard work. I think it's interesting though because when you look at someone who is prepared to leave PSG and go to Lorient because they're going to play games, I think what that tells you is... It's not jumping ship for an easy ride or an easier ride or it or in or more chance of success. It's he is so desperate to get to the top, he will make the move that he thinks will get him there. You know, yeah. because it's like it's not like he left PSG to go to 
Man United. He left PSG to go to Lorient. Yeah. And I think... D- Div too. Yeah. But, I, but, but ultimately, like, it, it's a great move. And to your point earlier about Foden, it's like, if you went to Lorient for a season, how much would that move your game on? How much more interest would you have around your game? And like, like one year out uh, causes all sorts of problems. You've really got to look at um, Smith Rowe picked up uh, an injury and now he's behind and he's at Huddersfield at the moment and he's having a, a, a great time. And, like the broader uh, the broader picture about Arsenal and all of this youth talent is there's a lot of it and I think in December everybody was looking at Arteta's mindset when he took on Arsenal like what are you taking on and you look going into next season uh, I think the club believe that Smith Rowe is going to be like it, it could be like Al Gundogan um, Saliba. Uh, like he's getting rave reviews. Um, uh, like he looks imposing. Looks like he could come back and like be in the in the fourth of the centre back position. Uh, then you've got like uh, like Willock, uh, Inketia, Pepe. Pepe. Like you've got all of these young players that really could move the uh, move the needle. Uh, uh, like uh, I know that Chelsea have got a, a great squad and uh, and are in a similar position to us. But I'm 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 excited about uh, like what could come yeah, next me season. Too. You know, turn turn over a few good players, bring in like three or four like needed names. It could be good next season. I'm excited. Great. Okay. Well, um, I think that we've uh, we've pushed the hour mark, but um, it was great to have you back on uh, on the podcast. Yeah, it's been great to chat. And uh, we'll do this again. It's the uh, it's the Europa League tonight. Um, we'll uh, I, I might do a, a little emergency podcast, but maybe not because it's been two podcasts this week. Anyway, if you're listening on iTunes, give me a five star rating and a nice little write up. And uh, we will see you uh, next week. So I guess uh, someone's got to say ciao for now. Ciao for now, Pete. Ciao for now. Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more. Surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Sports Social Podcast Network.